Climate Law Matters. Interview with Dr. Anna McLean, Geothermal Energy. Hello, listener, and welcome back to our podcast, Climate Law Matters, in which we explore the legal developments across different sectors to address the key issue of climate change. I am Steph David, a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers, specialising in environmental and climate change cases. Um, Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Anna McLean, a lecturer at the University of Newcastle and a key researcher on a project on net zero geothermal research for district infrastructure engineering. Dr. McLean, thank you very much for joining me today. To start, can you tell the listener about your background and your expertise in this area? My background is I was a solicitor for a number of years, carrying out largely commercial property work. I always had an interest in the environment and environmental issues. So I moved over to academia to pursue this interest. I'm now a lecturer at Newcastle Law School, teaching, amongst other things, environmental law. And along with that, I'm involved in research related to environmental law, including the Net Zero Geothermal Research for District Infrastructure Engineering Project. So this is a project that's looking at the use of a borehole in the centre of Newcastle to extract deep geothermal heat for use in an adjacent university buildings and homes. And my role in the project has been to investigate the legal and regulatory context of the extraction and use of geothermal energy. So looking at the laws that apply to it, how they apply and how well the existing laws address the risks associated with geothermal energy. So we'll delve into the detail of that in due course. But just to start with, can you explain to our listener what geothermal energy is? So simply geothermal energy is the heat that's stored beneath the Earth's surface. It includes the heat in the first few hundred metres below the surface, which is largely derived from the sun. And deeper underground is the heat that's generated by the Earth itself through geological processes. And as a general rule, the deeper you go, the hotter it gets. But essentially, geothermal energy is the heat stored beneath the Earth's surface. And how much of that energy is currently being used in the UK? Not a great deal. So according to the 2021 UK Energy in Brief document, about 4.5% of renewable energy in the UK is geothermal energy. And what's it principally used for at the moment? It's used for the provision of hot water and heating So you will have seen, obviously, the Climate Change Committee released their progress report on reducing emissions very recently, the 28th of June. There's a big focus in that report on the need for heat pumps, but no mention of geothermal energy. I mean, mean, why do you think that is? Well, heat pumps includes shallow geothermal energy. So if a geothermal heat that's stored just below the Earth's surface, which is slightly cooler, heat pump technology is used to increase the temperature of that to more usable temperatures that can be used for heating and hot water. So in their reference to heat pumps, they are including heat pumps for the use of shallow geothermal energy, so your ground source heat pump technology, as well as air source heat pumps. It doesn't really distinguish between the two, so it lumps those together. But in terms of deep geothermal energy, there's no reference to that. And I think probably the reason behind this is that the technology needed to extract deep geothermal energy is a lot less advanced than we have for other renewable energy sources. So it's less well developed, it's more costly, it's less well understood than other low carbon renewable sources such as wind and solar. And do you know why that is? I mean, comparing it to sort of other countries, I mean, why there's been a lack of investment in geothermal energy in particular? 
I think it's just time. I think it's just as time progresses, we'll understand more about it and more technology will become more advanced. But at the moment, it's lagging behind, generally speaking, than other renewable energy sources. And what do you see the kind of potential of this energy source in the UK? Oh, so we've got a huge potential. There's a lot of heat stored beneath the Earth's surface. And the estimates are that we have sufficient heat and reasonably accessible heat to be able to meet all the UK's heating need for 100 years, or I think that's quite a conservative estimate as well, they think. So a huge potential to be able to contribute to heating and also to make a significant contribution to electricity requirements. So I know we've touched upon this already, but why do you think it is such an underutilised resource in the UK? There are still quite a lot of risks and uncertainty associated with the extraction of geothermal heat. There are initial upfront costs and a lot of uncertainty regarding how much heat a particular geothermal resource will provide and how long for. So there's quite significant financial risk there for investors and the industry has therefore remained underdeveloped. And how does this energy source compare to other forms of renewable energy? Well, it's a very reliable form of energy. It's constant and unaffected by variations in weather and seasons. So unlike solar and wind, which are intermittent as they rely on the sun shining and the wind blowing, it's there all the time. And this is a significant advantage in the context of the need to have a constant, reliable energy source. So you've mentioned already the uncertainty, particularly from an investor perspective. But are there any particular legal barriers that you see to its increased use? Yeah, we don't have a bespoke law for geothermal energy. We've got no Geothermal Energy Act. What we've got is a number of existing legal regimes that cover some different aspects of the extraction and use of geothermal energy. So basically, as a result of that, current legal framework is quite piecemeal. It's a bit uncertain in places. It's not entirely clear exactly which bits of existing legislation apply to geothermal energy and how they apply and whether the current legal framework adequately addresses all the risks that are associated with geothermal energy. And also we'll explore those risks in more detail throughout this discussion. But so you've recently published a paper in the Journal of Energy Policy And in that paper, you contrast shallow and deep geothermal energy. What's the precise difference? Shallow geothermal energy is the energy that's in the first few hundred metres below the surface. And as I mentioned, this heated essentially from the sun in the atmosphere and and its temperature is usually around that of the air temperature. So not terribly hot. And you need heat pump technology to increase the temperature to make it more useful for heating. So we have this heat pump technology that is quite commonly known as ground source heat pumps or ground source heating and cooling systems. And the technology for that is relatively well established. The deep geothermal energy, so this is quite a lot hotter and deeper under the ground. Its heat is generated from geological processes. And as a general rule, the temperature increases the further down below the surface you go. Again, it can be used for heating without as much of the need to increase the temperature. The temperatures can be at more usable temperature so it can be used on a larger scale. So your heat pump technology for your shallow geothermal energy is more used for individual homes and properties, whereas your hotter temperatures from your deeper geothermal energy can be used for heating on a larger scale, such as heat networks. And also, depending on just how hot the geothermal energy is, it can also sometimes be used to generate electricity. But as the extraction of deep geothermal energy requires drilling down much further into the ground, it's more difficult to extract and the technology and practices for the extraction of deep geothermal energy are much less well established than for shallow geothermal energy. So just then building upon the discussion around shallow geothermal energy first, what risks does the regulation of shallow geothermal need to address? I mean, starting with kind of environmental risks. 
Well, there are two types of systems of the extraction and use of geothermal energy. You have your open loop systems and your closed loop systems. So an open loop system abstracts water from the ground through one borehole, extracts the heat from it, and then discharges the cool water back into the ground through another borehole. Then another system for extracting shallow geothermal energy is your closed loop system, where basically you've got a continual sort of pipe with fluid circulating in it, which absorbs the heat from the ground, brings it to the surface where the heat's extracted and the cool waters continues on its journey. So the water's not actually entering the environment under the ground there. It's just circulating through a closed pipe, absorbing the heat as it goes round. So the risks associated with those two extraction systems are, are a bit different. But for both open and closed loop systems, because you're extracting heat from the ground, whether in an open loop or a closed loop system, it does have the potential to to alter the temperature of the ground, and that can have impacts on ecosystems and the quality of groundwater. The more of these ground source heating cooling systems you have in an area, the greater potential there is for that to occur. The risks for those undesirable temperature changes are increased for your open loop system where you've got the cooled water being re-injected directly into the ground, so that has an increased risk of undesirable temperature changes. Again, for both open and closed loop systems, there is a risk that they will, as you are constructing the system, that it will mobilise contaminants in the grounds. If you're in a contaminated area, that's a risk in relation to both open and closed loop systems. And that's sort of, again, an increased risk for open loop systems where you've got water being re-injected directly into the ground, potential there for contamination to occur. In terms of then other risks, so most obviously financial risks, what do you see those to be? The initial upfront costs of installing a ground source heat pump are significant. They cost more than for a gas boiler and the performance and the efficiency of the system. There are risks, as I mentioned there, if you've got a ground source heat pump or a number of ground source heat pumps in an area, that there'll be a reduction in the temperature of the ground and that might then impact on the long-term efficiency and performance of the system. You mentioned this earlier that the kind of regulation of geothermal energy more generally is very piecemeal. As it currently stands, how is shallow geothermal energy regulated? It's regulated to some extent under environmental law through the Environment Agency. So the Environment Agency requires operators to get a licence if they've got an open-loop geothermal system that's extracting more than 20 cubic metres of water a day. So that licence will essentially regulate how much water is extracted and where from and when granting the licence, the Environment Agency can also look at the other potential environmental impacts of the system and they can require steps be taken to mitigate those. But that only applies to open loop systems and only to those that extract more than 20 cubic metres a day. In addition to that, the Environment Agency also regulates discharges of water into the ground through the environmental permitting regime. So an open loop system would in theory require an environmental permit to discharge the water directly back into the ground in an open loop system. But then it doesn't apply to closed loop systems because there's no discharge back into the ground. And there's currently an exemption from the requirement for an environmental permit for discharges from ground source heat pumps as well. So basically the regulation from the environment agency with regard to your, your shallow geothermal energy, your ground source heat pumps is pretty minimal. Local authorities, they also have some degree of regulatory powers in relation to shallow geothermal energy extraction systems in the fact that, again, in principle, these require planning permission. However, there are permitted development rights in relation to ground source heat pumps, so therefore they're granted 
planning permission automatically without having to make an application to the local authority. So domestic ground source heat pumps, they don't require an application for planning permission and neither do some non-domestic ones, provided they're below a certain size. So again, there's no opportunity there for the local planning authorities to decide to have a look at a particular system and decide whether it's appropriate or not, or whether measures need to be taken to mitigate the impacts of them. So just for one moment, thinking about the scenario where it doesn't fall within permitted development rights, so the local planning authority has got a role to play in terms of consent. So an interesting point that you make in your paper is in respect of them taking into account the adverse impact on groundwater and obviously also looking at the risk of mobilising contaminants, which is points that you've mentioned earlier. Do you think there is or that there should be scope for the positive climate change benefits of geothermal energy to be weighed into the planning balance when the local planning authority is taking that decision? Absolutely. I mean, there is scope for local planning authorities to take account of positive climate change benefits of a system. And the National Planning Policy Framework does state that local planning authorities should recognise the value of small-scale projects in cutting greenhouse gas emissions and that they should grant planning permission for low-carbon development if its impacts are or can be made acceptable. So they will balance the climate change advantages with any negative environmental impacts. And there is some suggestion there that some priority should be given to low-carbon and renewable developments. But at the end of the day, local planning authorities have considerable amount of discretion, whether to grant planning permission for a particular project. And it is largely up to them how much weight to give to the different considerations. Looking at the kind of other regimes that you mentioned, so you mentioned the the water abstraction regime and groundwater licences. Are there any particular problems with that regime in the context of shallow geothermal energy? Yeah, it's the gap. It's like they're not really covering with any great degree shallow geothermal energy extraction systems. Your abstraction license is only required for open loop systems over a certain size. So nothing in relation to closed loop systems and nothing in relation to your smaller open loop systems. So no means of regulating them or the cumulative impacts of them as well. And similarly with the environmental permitting regime for the discharges, with the exemption we've got there for ground source heating and cooling systems, means that there is essentially not a great deal of opportunity for the environment agency to regulate either open or closed loop shallow geothermal energy systems. And again, because the majority of your ground source heating and cooling systems are going to be permitted development, there isn't really that opportunity there for local planning authorities to regulate them. So you mentioned the kind of cumulative impact of multiple kind of ground source heat pumps. Maybe a very basic question, but is it possible to run out of heat? It is. So your geothermal heat is a renewable source of energy, but you can extract it at a greater rate than which it can regenerate itself. So if a single ground source heat system extracts too much heat too quickly, then it will potentially reduce the temperature of the ground and the long-term efficiency of the system. And similarly, if you've got a ground source heat and cooling system that itself is extracting heat at a sustainable rate, but then you have another one built in the area or a number of additional ground source heat and cooling systems in the area, then cumulatively they may then, they can impact on each other, the amount of heat available to each other. We used to refer to as interference between the systems, which may affect their long-term efficiency. So that kind of brings me on to my next question, which is in respect of private property rights. I know it's an interesting point that you again you raise in your paper. I mean, how do private property rights intersect with these various regulatory regimes? Because there's no sort of statutory regulation of the extraction of heat, the issue of competing rights 
heat is potentially a matter to be dealt with. I think for the law of nuisance, it's questionable whether this would succeed because although the owner of a ground source heating system may have proprietary interest in the land in which a system has been installed, it's unclear who, if anyone, has proprietary interest in the heat in the ground. So it looks like nuisance would be the way to deal with this issue, but it's a little uncertain as to whether that would actually succeed. And so in your view, taking a step back, how could the regulation of shallow geothermal energy be improved? Well, there are a number of possible ways to improve the regulation of shallow geothermal energy, and it's a significant motivating factor in people's decisions to install a ground source. Heat pump is a desire to be environmentally friendly, so it's important to have a robust regulatory regime that gives confidence to the consumer that the industry is properly regulated and the systems are not harming the environment in any way. So an ideal would be to have a regulator dedicated to geothermal energy who could then regulate the amount of heat extracted as well as the environmental impacts of a shallow geothermal energy system. But that is probably a little unrealistic at present given the anticipated uptake of geothermal energy. Another way rather than having a dedicated geothermal regulator would be to bring all shallow geothermal energy extraction systems within the remit of the environment agency under the environmental permitting regime, so requiring that open and closed loop systems require an environmental permit. And this could be combined with the introduction of requirements regarding the techniques to be used, equipment to be used, installers, thresholds for temperature changes in the subsurface, minimum distances between systems in order to address the risks associated with shallow geothermal energy. An advantage of that would also mean that if we have a regulator with oversight of all shallow geothermal energy systems is that there would be a centralised record of shallow geothermal systems as well and that would improve the ability of the regulator to ensure a sustainable use of shallow geothermal resources and also enable the public to be able to find out about other systems in the area and the potential for interference between them. But it is important also to guard against over-regulation of shallow geothermal energy. We don't want a regulatory regime that puts people off installing a ground source heating system. You don't need a license to install a gas boiler. So we don't really want to create an additional barrier to the uptake of shallow geothermal energy use. So an alternative would be to put greater emphasis on the ground source heat pump association and it has some standards and codes of practice. Maybe these could be develops to include additional provisions regarding acceptable temperature changes, distance between systems and the installation in contaminated areas. And that might be a happy medium in the meantime to not hinder the uptake of ground source heating systems. Thank you very much for your time on that topic. I think in our next episode, we're going to talk about deep geothermal energy. Otherwise, listener, thank you very much for tuning in. And we'll hear from Dr. Anna McLean again in the next episode. Thank you.